0: It's Tuesday, the 3rd of March, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, as the coronavirus spreads, Australia imposes travel restrictions on Iran, the UK warns of imminent widespread infection, and the United States struggles to find a united approach. But what about the economic impact?
1: We don't have many global pandemics, so the complete uncertainty, I just don't think anybody can really confidently say for sure whether or not they should do X or Y. But this is why there's a lot of estimates that we could, and I say could, be in for a global recession.
0: We'll hear from the economist Linda Yu. Plus, Joe Biden holds on tight as the all-important Super Tuesday votes begin. And on the subject of voting... We'll take a look at what to expect from this year's Eurovision Song Contest. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. As the world prepares for what now seems an inevitable spread of the coronavirus, financial markets are also feeling the pressure. The economist Linda Yu explains how governments and markets are reacting. It may be necessary, for instance, to... Uh, to close some schools but right now people should not be closing schools if there isn't a positive case and they don't have the advice from Public Health England
1: part of the challenge with something like this is that there's a lot of unknowns. So I think governments always have a worst-case scenario. I think Matt Hancock, the health secretary, said over the weekend that, you know, you plan for the worst, you work towards the best. I think that's reassuring um, that there are, and he wouldn't rule out anything like having to potentially shut down cities, half the population working from home. But I see those as pretty standard contingency measures. The, the thing is, if they didn't, have something like that, and you should be worried. But telling people, obviously, you know, is how you tell people. And I think having a realistic assessment that coronavirus has spread a lot, uh, we're not as bad as Italy at the moment, but clearly it's, you know, it's everywhere.
0: As an important part of our efforts on Monday, I'll be meeting with the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world, actually. They'll be coming to the White House, and we're talking about developing very rapidly a vaccine for the virus, to combat the
1: virus. If you were to think about what it might look like in, say, three to four weeks' time, which is roughly the time frame the American Treasury Secretary is looking at, it's hard to say that even if a company were to divert their supply chain and resource their production, that the new place, which is expensive to do, the new place wouldn't have... Um, the same disruptions. And this is why if it is a supply-side disruption, then I think it is going to have to just be uh, something you weather, which is hard. Fiscal policy can do a bit. But, you know, given we don't have many global pandemics, so the complete uncertainty, I just don't think anybody can really confidently say for sure whether or not they should do X or Y. I think we'll just have to see how the economy, you know, fares. But this is why there's a lot of estimates that we could, and I say could, be in for a global recession at this point. We'll just have to see how how far it spreads.
0: It's Super Tuesday in the United States, the most important date in the lead-up to the presidential elections in November, and another crucial test for Joe Biden after he has scored a much-needed victory in South Carolina at the weekend. Monocle's US election correspondent, Thomas Lewis, reports. Let's go, let's go. Let's go.
2: Joe Biden's overwhelming victory in the South Carolina Democratic primary on Saturday marks a milestone in the race to choose a nominee to take on Donald Trump in November's presidential election. All of those who have been knocked down, counted out, left behind, this is your campaign. Just days ago, the press and the pundits had declared this candidacy dead. Now. Thanks to all of you, the heart of the Democratic Party, we just won and we've won big because of you. Biden, who once appeared unassailable as the frontrunner in the Democratic contest, had staked his entire campaign on a win in South Carolina after poor showings in Iowa and in New Hampshire. But it's the scale of Biden's win that's noteworthy. He won by more than 30 percentage points, doing so with an overwhelming majority of South Carolina's large African-American Democratic electorate. Vanessa B. Norman, who was at Joe Biden's victory party in South Carolina's state capital, Columbia, on Saturday night, told me why she'd voted for him.
3: I'm so excited. It's so wonderful to know that Joe Biden is on his way, well-deserved man, to do a well-deserved job that I know that he could do. I Actually, I love him, but I really voted for him because he's got the experience, he's got the knowledge, and he's got the love for the people. I think that people need to open up their eyes across the country, and I just think that Joe is a really upstanding man, in my opinion, in my heart, and I pray that he will go all the way
0: in.
2: It's too early to tell whether Biden's victory in South Carolina marks a longer-lasting comeback for his candidacy. The challenge for Biden may well be that there's very little time between his success on Saturday and the next round of voting on Super Tuesday, when 13 states and two other territories hold their primaries all on the same day. Super Tuesday hasn't historically come in as quick succession to the South Carolina primary, so time is short. And a comeback story needs time, both for fundraising purposes and also for the narrative to take hold, both in the media coverage of Biden's candidacy and in the minds of voters that have yet to cast their ballots. I think all the Democratic candidates are good candidates and they care about people, which is different from the other party and the other person. Jamie Price is a Democratic voter in South Carolina. He's set up and run several successful businesses over the years and is involved in Democratic politics in the state. He held fundraisers for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign back in 2016. The thing about Joe Biden is he's a caring, loving person, and we all know that. And that's what we need right now in this, you know, our reality show that we live here in the United States. Well, I think what we need is that person, that calming influence that does know the system, that can put it back together because it's in flux right now. Our whole government is and our democracy is. And I think that this person, I think Biden's the person to do it. Not, don't, I'm not saying that the other candidates aren't good and they're not good people. They are. But I think Biden has a better handle with his experience to actually put the government back together. Super Tuesday, then, will be a contest of contests in many ways. And although the field just got a little narrower, what will unfold on Super Tuesday is far from set. For Monocle in South Carolina, I'm Thomas Lewis.
0: And finally today, the US election isn't the only competition of international significance happening this year. The Eurovision Song Contest touches down in Rotterdam beginning on the 12th of May. Our own Eurovision correspondent, Fernando Augusto Pacheco, fills us in on what to expect.
2: I'm a human, not song. I can make a change and go wherever I want to.
3: Eurovision fans are buzzing as most countries have now submitted their entries for this year's show, currently still going forward from May 12 to May 16 in Rotterdam. There are whispers that Lithuania could be a strong contender with its lick beats and choreography. Think Billie Eilish's catchy bad guy. For the cool crowd, Iceland impressed with the synthy Thing About Things by Daddy Og Gagnamagnu. It's a catchy tune and the retro jumpers the band is wearing could be the fashion trend of the event. Italy is always strong three top five finishes in the past five years and are going for a classic ballad by Diodato, Fai Rumore. (laughs) Ukraine's return to the competition is also welcome with the electro-folk Solovey by Goa, there's also some classic Eurovision fare, ranging from the Metallica-esque beats of the Georgian Act to a Serbian version of the Pussycat Dolls. Stay tuned for more updates from our M2014 and, of course, me, Fernando Augusto Pacheco, Monaco 24's Eurovision correspondent.
0: My thanks to Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Elsewhere on today's agenda... Japan's Prime Minister Shinzo Abe took part in a televised news conference on Sunday to ask for public cooperation with his government's response to the coronavirus. Critics have accused him of political grandstanding and of giving little thought to the impact of some measures, such as the sudden closure of all public schools. And the new horror movie reboot, The Invisible Man, has topped the box office in the United States and Canada. ComScore reports that the film sold about 29 million US dollars in ticket sales at the weekend, giving Universal Pictures a much needed boost. The film is based on a story originally conceived by H.G. Wells, which was first adapted to film in 1933. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Wednesday.